Hello and welcome to the Push Up Brentford podcast. Push Up Brentford is an oral history project set to commemorate the last year the club will play at Griffin Park, their home for 116 years. We have interviewed fans young and old as well as players and managers to uncover their personal stories. We have created a fascinating living history of Brentford Football Club, starring the people who have made it such a special place over the years. This project is run by volunteers, many of them Brentford fans and supported by the art and education charity Digital Works. This episode is called The Kickoff. It explores the early years of people's support for Brentford, their family history, some going back to the 1920s, others who had to cope with being the only Brentford fan in a family of QPR supporters. There are great stories of bunking in over turnstiles, of grandfathers banned from pubs around the ground and hand-knitted bobble hats and scarves. People also record their first ever Brentford match of 9-0 victories, huge crowds and the towering Royal Oaks hat, but also of humiliating defeats and dwindling numbers on the terraces. We hope you enjoyed the many voices and stories you will hear. My father brought me to Brentford. He was a Brentford supporter since he was a boy. Um, and on Saturday afternoon, when I got to about five years old, on Saturday afternoon it was a choice, would you want to go to football with Daddy or do you want to go shopping with Mummy? And I'm afraid there was, even though I didn't understand much about football, it wasn't a difficult decision. My dad was absolutely determined to escape the working class. He, would, he wouldn't drink in a pub, he, 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 wouldn't, he didn't like football, uh, you, know, he, you know, he affected an interest in, in fine wine and cheese. So it was really almost, in a way, against my father that I came to, to watch Brentford rather than with his support. But he did take me along to the first game. Well, my father used to take me to football matches on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, and Brentford was the closest. So we'd go more often to Griffin Park than elsewhere. But when they were away, we'd sometimes go to Loftus Road or Stamford Bridge or Craven Cottage. So we saw some real legends of the game, you know, Johnny Haynes, Stanley Matthews, and so on. Um, but invariably, Brentford was the nearest club and the one that I felt most at home in. So Griffin Park, for me, just became like a second home. It was just the place to go on a Saturday afternoon or a Tuesday night. The first time I came to Brentford was in 1965, uh, September 1965. There was a friendly between uh, Brentford and West Ham. Uh, West Ham were the only football club I'd ever heard of at the time because they'd won the FA Cup a couple of years earlier, a year earlier. And they were playing Brentford in a friendly and my local, some of my local friends knew people who were Brentford supporters. So we came along and uh, Brentford won the game, unbelievably, um, against a really good West Ham side, and I've been coming ever since. <laughs> but fundamentally, I'm local. I'm from Hounslow. Uh, um, Brentford is my local club. But of course, I could have gone to any one of four West London clubs. And for many years, I kind of almost cursed my dad for taking, who knew nothing about football, taking me to Brentford rather than you know Chelsea, Fulham or QPR. Uh, where at least there would have been, you know, greater stories. Uh, um, but having started coming to the ground and coming to see the club, uh, there's something very lovely about it. And, uh, uh, and in a way that uh, Chelsea, when I first started going to football, was a really nasty place with the National Front organising on the terraces and lots of violence. Uh, you know, Brentford really didn't come across like that. And I could go from a very early age, uh, well, it seems very early age now, I think, uh, from 13 I was coming on my own or with a group of friends to, to watch Brentford. I came, became a Brentford supporter because of my school friend Nigel Bates. We went to Matthew Arnold in Staines um, and he was a huge Brentford fan and so was his dad. 
And then Nigel said, do you fancy coming to Brentford on Saturday? And it was the year after we got promoted back to League Division 3, so under Bill Dodgin. Um, and there was like a real vibe, real momentum still. And uh, Brentford seemed to be sort of coming back to their former glories. I remember him telling me at school. And I came along, it was Swansea at home. And it was just brilliant. I, I fell in love well, on first sight. And I stood on the new road in a puddle at the front. And there was singing and there was a goal. And then there was a fight at half time in the toilet and um, lots of swearing. And it was just everything a, a sort of a nine-year-old boy wanted at the time. So, uh, yeah, and, and I think from then, from pretty much that first game, I've, I haven't missed many. I became a Benford fan partly through glory hunting because it was 1971-72 and the John O'Mara team and we were flying in Division 4. So I looked at the tables and thought, you know, as a nine-year-old, I thought, oh, that's good. So I thought I'll support them. But it's partly for being sort of a bit of an awkward sod because uh, my, my cousin was a Fulham fan and my brother followed him to become a Fulham fan. And I thought, nope, nope, I'm not going to become a Fulham fan. I'm going to be awkward. And so I chose uh, Brentford because we were doing really well that year. But it was a really stupid thing to do because living in North London, there was no way anyone was going to take me to see Brentford. So most of the 70s, I just went to... Fulham games with my brother and my cousin and QPR games with my mate and rarely ever got to see Brentford play. Growing up in Brentford didn't have very much money and they used to let you in for free at half time. So one Saturday I was walking past, nothing to do and I thought let's go in, see what's going on and within two years of that I was doing home games, away games, reserve games, reserve away games season ticket holder. Joe Whelan, who's now a really good friend of mine, still goes to matches. You know, all the kids would be playing on the park. You know, we used to play by Marlborough School, which is down the road in Isleworth. We always used to play there Saturday mornings into Saturday afternoons, playing football as kids do, get up in the morning and play all day, then go home. And about, I remember Joe used to turn up around about 1.30 um, and say, all right, kids, who's coming down to Brentford? And like, you know, you can imagine she's got like all this sort of kind of 12, 13, 14, 15 year old kids are like, oh, I'll come. And she literally kind of just got a whole load of kids, probably 10, 12 of us. We all marched down the road from Isleworth all the way down to Brentford. We got to the turnstile. There was a guy called Paddy, I think his name was, on the turnstile. She said, right, Paddy, I've got 12 kids here. You go, all right, then he'll just bunk us over the turnstile. So we basically used to bunk into Brentford. And for me, I mean, obviously, you're not paying any money. You know, my parents had no idea I was going at the time as well. And then um, and then that was it. So, you know, used to do that every couple of weeks. And obviously, <laughs> obviously, I was hooked by then. It was absolutely great fun. My parents split up when I was, what, five or six? And all my family sport keeper are. And... Um, so in the occasions that my dad tried to get me to go to QPR, I was like, no way. Because it was my dad's team and I still had some... Um, I didn't want to do what my dad wanted me to do. Partly that might have been the fact that him and my mum split up. Partly it might just be my nature. It's quite hard to know. Um, and so I kind of... I knew I didn't like QPR before I'd even heard of Brentford. <laughs> and uh, when I was about 14, 13, 14, uh, I got in with some kids at school. Um, who supported Brentford, and I just started going with them. So I became a Brentford supporter against the wishes of my family. So 
Um, my dad was an Irish immigrant, came into uh, London in the 50s, was raised in Holland Park. He was a QPR fan, naturally, by geography. But when we moved out west um, to start a family, he had me and my brother. He managed to reel my brother in to be a QPR fan. But, um, yeah, I was maybe, a, I didn't play ball quite as much. I almost see myself as a bit of a Bart Simpson to my dad's Homer, you know, trying to annoy him week after week, uh, teasing him about not supporting QPR. I mean, I'd come to Brentford for years before I actually considered myself a supporter of the club. It was very much, uh, as, a, as I was growing up, I was sort of wanting to be like everyone else around me. So I was supporting the teams that my friends supported, but I was going to Brentford games because that's who my dad supported, who my granddad supported, and they'd supported him for years. So whenever I actually went to the football, I was going to Brentford, but not considering myself a fan. I was like, oh, I'm just going to watch the football. And then eventually I just sort of got worn down. And uh, they, one day I just was watching, I was like, oh, I'm a fan. I'm supporting this, this is great. And then since then, I've never looked back. I got married in 1963 um, and I started, the attendances became slightly less as my wife wasn't exactly keen on Brentford. She came, she's only ever been to one football match at Brentford and that was when we started going out. Uh, she remembers the score, it was against Plymouth Argyle and we drew nil-nil and she said, if this is football you can keep it and uh, she's never been since. I remember one particular day when I was asking him to take me to, to Griffin Park Week, every week I'd say, let's, let's go to Brentford today, Dad, let's go to Brentford. And he'd always say, no, it's not my team. And one week he said, well, all right, we're going we're gonna to do it. I'll take you to the game. And we arrived at the turnstiles and only to find out that Brentford were playing away that day. And there was nobody here. It was an empty ground. So we disappeared off to the Boston Manor Road where he was living at the time to go to his favourite pub. Still not sure if he knew they were playing away that day. Secretly think that was a premeditated tactic. My granddad majority of his life he lived literally across the road almost directly opposite the uh, turnstiles on the Braemar Road. Even when I'm not coming to games I've been coming to Brentford regularly to visit my granddad and he was uh, he was a regular around all the pubs to, to the point where they all knew his name and there's uh, always been a running joke in the family that throughout his whole life he was always barred from at least one of the uh, four pubs on the corners and when he finally talked his way back into one of them, another one decided they'd had enough of him. So he was, uh, he was a very well-known figure around the area. So whenever we used to come over, we'd go to one of the different pubs. So I've always had an affinity with this area. I remember when I was a kid In the pushchair and over the bridge Half time, you got in for free There was me granddad, me dad then there was me going down the town and over the moon. Saturday afternoon. I remember where we stood. Me granddad saying they'll come good. Denby Road end behind the goal. Peering through the wire with me stale cheese roll Going down the town and over the moon Saturday afternoon You 
grow up, you turn around Someone's closed your childhood down They'll come good, we never did But I remember Down the town and over the moon Saturday afternoons Me and me dad, we're both getting on Seated stands, what's done is gone We have a beer, watch Brentford play Best mates on a winter's day Just like down the town and over the moon Saturday afternoon Down the town and over the moon Saturday afternoon Best mates on a Saturday afternoon. Well, my first match was an amazing match because it happened to be the match when we beat Berry 8-2 with Peter McKennan scoring five goals. And I thought, this is great, you know, seeing a man where we score eight goals, fantastic. And the second match I saw was about a week later, or ten days, I can't remember exactly when, a week later, when we played Leicester City in the sixth round of the FA Cup, and we lost 2-0, unfortunately. It was a, an amazing match because when I got to the ground at 1.30 for a three o'clock kickoff, they were almost about to close the gates. And the gate man said to me, oh, you'll never see anything, you're ever so small. I said, well, I'll, creep, I'll crawl through the legs. And I got to the back of the Brook Road stand where I normally stood, and a guy there said, oh, he said, you're a shrimp. He said, yeah, he said, I'll lift you over. Here, Harry, help me lift him over. So two guys picked me up and passed me over the heads of the people. They all put their hands up and passed me down to the front. And uh, I found myself right at the front row behind the railings and behind the goal where uh, Alf Jeffries was, was in goal. We used to stand on Ealing Road, and I mean, we was packed. And I can remember, oh, I used to be pressed up against the the, the fencing, like park fencing at the front. Dad was at the back, a couple of rows behind. Yeah, I had, my, I had my red and white bobble hat that Mum knitted. I had a Brentford red and white scarf that Mum knitted. Um, but that that was all. I mean, in those days, there wasn't things like replica shirts or anything like that. It was a bobble hat and scarf, and I had a great big rattle. One very vivid memory is the first goal I remember when we played Portsmouth in 1962, I think it was, and it was two all with about seven minutes to go and George Francis got a great through ball from Johnny Brooks, who was my favourite player, and he was at a very wide, narrow angle and he whacked it and hit the winner straight into the goal from somewhere out near the corner flag, as I remember it. And of course the place erupted. It was fantastic. And that year I think Portsmouth won the league and we finished pretty well down the bottom. But that was a fantastic day and 
you know, that memory of scoring a very late winner from what seemed like an impossible position by one of our really great players, George Francis, uh, one of the terrible twins, of course, it, it just stuck with me. I got to see my first game when I was about 10 and I only lived three doors down from the main stadium. My dad took me there, went up to the top floor, the, the, the A block, sat in the corner there and watched the game. I can't remember what's the first game day. Because I'm so used to watching on TV, I thought there's going to be commentary on the game while I'm sitting inside the stadium. And to hear there was no commentary, I was going, well, you know, who's got the ball, who's this and who's that? And the first game I ever came to, I was sat in the wooden stand at Brentford uh, in this little corner bit uh, that stretches round. Uh, um, and it seemed to me when I was very little, I was, I was so high up at this vast space and this bright green pitch. Uh, and it seemed huge. Uh, and I've been thinking about that since. I think it's that process by when you come to Brentford, you come through these little terraced houses, you go through a narrow entrance and then suddenly it opens up uh, and there's this fantastic space. So my first memory, and I think when you're very young, you don't really know what's going on on the pitch. Uh, you know, there are bright colours and stuff happens, but you don't really understand the ebb and flow of football. Uh, it was the spectacle. I just remember the big stand behind the goal, the Royal Oak End. Um, although I didn't stand on that until a few years later on, and, um, you know, it was almost like a, a rite of passage where you, you moved on to that stand. I remember looking at it and it was, you know, the, the crowds were big um, and the noise coming out of there was big. And uh, yeah, it was it was impressive, and it was kind of like you look to that to that stand to kind of like for your inspiration. And I know you know the, the players would have sort of fed off of that as well. I remember walking up Clifton Road in the days when we had the Royal Oak Stand. So walking up from the west to that big the back of that big stand, and of course that now there's a block of flats behind the Wendy House. But in those days the big imposing stand called the Royal Oak and the row of uh, turnstiles and the queues, people pushing to get forward to get in the turnstiles, get up on the, get a good position up on the terrace. In fact, I stood on that terrace when we beat Wrexham 9-0, which is our record ever score. It was a midweek game and I stood right at the front up against the railings behind the goal on the Royal Oak. And Di Ward, I think, made his debut, Welsh international, scored two goals. One of my earliest memories was my father bringing me. Um, I remember it was a Saturday and I was actually quite ill, but he didn't want to miss the game. So he brought me over, I was probably two, three years old, and he had a flask of hot chocolate and a blanket and I vomited everywhere in the first half and he got really angry that he had to take me home. So that's my earliest memory of Brentford. I remember, sit, I remember watching um, fans change sides and change ends at half time. So people would go on the, you know, if you were shooting towards the Royal Oak, they would go on the Royal Oak um, in the first half and then they would walk to the Ealing Road in the second half. There was no segregation at that stage. Um, the away followers would congregate pretty much on the Ealing Road Terrace, um, but there was nothing to stop fans swapping ends. 
um, and there were kind of incidents because of that at certain games. And I remember a, um, a bank holiday match against Southend where I, I for somehow I managed to persuade my mum to come and my sister to come and my dad and me came as a family. Um, it didn't happen often and uh, it just, there was a riot pretty much. So yeah, mum, mum and sister didn't come again. Because <laughs> I'm going in the 70s um, and one of the things that still really attracted me about coming to Brentford was the fact that the normal rules of society didn't seem to exist. I think it's a football question rather than a Brentford question. Uh, so uh, there were lots of kind of bitter old men at Brentford at that stage. Uh, and these would have been people who, who, who'd gone when Brentford was a giant club in the 40s who, who were embittered after year after year of failure. Whereas I was a kid, you know, we'd never been any better. I wasn't bitter. Um, uh, and one of the things that, 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 that you got a lot of um, was that you just get grown men swearing, you know, you know, bursting out with strings of expletives, the F word, the C word, everything. <laughs> Uh, and I think the third game I went to on my own, I happened to stand next to some old guy who was clearly livid about everything. I don't know, his life was a mess, I've no idea. But as soon as the referee made one marginal decision against Brentford, he was off. And this process, I think, of grown men you know, swearing in public, uh, um, it was kind of really exciting when you were a kid. I mean, my dad didn't swear in front of me. You know, this, was, this was something different in here. And then later on, uh, when again in the 70s, you know, when football's a bit edgier there's there, there's something else it's saying about it being part of a of a sort of big tribe of people kind of both delighted in your club but also angry against the other club which uh, uh, is quite exciting when you're young it was unbelievable because it was the year after the 1978 world cup which was in argentina you know, so you had that whole, I mean, England wasn't actually in that World Cup, ironically, but you had the, the magic of the kind of, um, the, uh, the confetti. That was the big confetti World Cup. And so, I mean, I've turned up, imagine you're a young kid, and I've turned up and all these kids are there with plastic bags, you know, full of newspapers that they spent, you know, the whole morning sort of tearing up so that when the team comes in, literally there was like just newspaper confetti all over the terraces. And I thought, well, this is quite good. The game was, uh, the atmosphere was, was massive. Uh, I think the crowd was about eight or 9,000. I believe the match was Huddersfield at home as well. And, uh, and I just thought to myself, actually, this is, this is fantastic. This is nothing like what I thought it would be. And, um, and it, was a, it was a massive buzz. And it was just, you know, you just got hooked on you know, what was, you know, third tier football, third division football. And a lot of your people around you, there were Arsenal, Tottenham, you know, Chelsea, West Ham, you know, they kind of didn't really, they didn't really kind of get it or they weren't really interested. But for me, from that stage on, I really had no interest in higher league football because it was just so far removed from what I was watching. It's everything about it was just kind of not what, you know, it wasn't what Brentford was like. This podcast was presented by me, Justin Kutupalu, and in this episode, you would have heard from Brian Godfrey, Dave Christie, Brian Burgess, Paul Stedman, David Lane, Sav Kuriaku, Claire Paleshka, Billy Grant, Gemma Teal, James McKeegan, Dan Patch, Ed Cohen, and Kenny Raymond. The music was written and performed by Rob Johnson 
and the podcast was produced by Digital Works. If you would like to hear all the unedited versions of the interviews, or you would like to find out more about the Push Up Brentford project, please visit www.pushupbrentford.org.uk.